You're listening to This Week in E-Commerce, the Ecom Nation podcast. Dive into the top online retail headlines with your hosts, Paul Waddy and Mal Chia. Let's load up the cart. Welcome to another week at This Week in E-Commerce, the Ecom Nation podcast with me, Mal Chia and Paul Waddy. Mal, uh, welcome to my humble abode, <laughs> or as I call it, the house of squeaky chairs. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to remember not to, to move around too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good to actually be here, recording with you in person. It, it's, a, it's a rare treat. Yeah, yeah. Can you smell the mahogany? I can. I can actually smell the mahogany. I can also smell many other things, but we're going to... <laughs> yeah, mostly <laughs> that <laughs> Yeah, it's actually it's good to be in Sydney this week. So I'm actually yeah. in town uh, at the Rakuten Dealmaker Conference, which is a uh, which was which was a lot of fun. I've never been to an affiliate marketing conference before. Ooh. I and, didn't get that. Oh, sorry, Mal said he's never been. To yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was good. It was really good. It was actually great because um, there were so many people there who came up to me and said that they watched this. Oh, that's good. Um, which is uh, which is excellent. So it's good to know that it's not just our team and our friends and family who are watching it so yeah. it's, uh, it's really great to hear that that's nice what, what any key takeaways from the affiliate conference uh, one big one is that they're they're seeing a real growth in their market and I, I can sense that as well like it feels like affiliate marketing is on the rise um the number was rack 10 were quoting and i don't know whether this is, this is their number or whether another body had had given this number um is that they're anticipating that right now affiliate marketing as an industry is worth 20 billion dollars globally they're expecting that to rise to 40 billion dollars by 2030 which is phenomenal growth so that's roughly about 20 percent year-on-year growth Ooh. and i'm kind of looking at that going like it makes sense it would have sounded wild like you know a few years ago that it would have grown this much in short in such a short period of time Ooh. but to me right now with how how i look at the market in particular you know the need to diversify where your your traffic is coming from the the need to to reach brand, um, consumers through different to, through different ways it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'd be interested to know your take on that. Affiliates for me, um, you know, they, they, they go two ways, don't they? Because there's a lot of cheap and nasties out there. Mm. And I think um, in my early days of using affiliates, I was always so suspect um, when they were claiming sales on, you know, um, sales that I was going to get anyway. Like my pet hate is when somebody publishes an expired discount code mm. And it's irrelevant if the customer uses it because the last click is coming from some mm. so-and-so looking for a discount code. So, I mean, what, what's your take on how to use affiliates strategically and without necessarily discounting? Well, I think that was that was my feeling of affiliates probably up to about seven or so years ago. Yeah, affiliates was very bottom of the funnel. And I guess as, a, as an industry, that's kind of how they position themselves, right? So there's a, this really strong focus on couponing, you know, couponing being a big part of what affiliate marketing has typically been all about. Um, but I'm seeing a real trend and, you know, there's Rakuten who are doing this, Impact.com who are really championing this as well about using affiliates to reach out to publishers and therefore different audiences higher up the funnel. Mm. And part of that is changing the incentive structure as well, that rather than incentivizing purely on a purchase, they're now looking at different models of like incentivizing on, you know, a first touch, you know, mm -hmm. a first touch attribution model. Um, so I know that there's publishers like, um, so networks like Linkby, for instance, who are, is an Australian company who are really disrupting it. They're doing a really great job in that space. So are Skimlinks, um, you know, obviously playing off the success of other platforms like Taboola to really get more content out there, more brand led content out there to attract customers earlier before they're ready to buy, mm -hmm. you know, before they are looking for that discount. 
and then changing the commission structure to reward those brands at that point for driving that first touch traffic, for driving that new consumer, rather than just converting someone right at the end, which to your mm. point is all about, you know, someone's going to buy anyway. They, they search for the discount code. They get yeah. that. You're paying a commission and you're paying the discount. Yeah. You're kind of losing both what, ends. What a treat. Yeah. But I think they, that sounds great. And I, but I think they need retailers who are smart enough to get out of the bottom of the funnel because you know the question they're going to get, which mm. is what's the ROAS on that? And so what you're saying there is it's, it's more of a top of funnel brand building thing. And, and that, can be. that's actually <laughs> awesome because like, I know Rakuten, for example, uh, work with some pretty, I think like you can, the Qantas is technically an affiliate. Yes. So I think you can actually get into some really good, you can get some really good uh, marketing out of proper affiliate marketing, can't you? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. And I think part of it is making sure that you do look at it as a full funnel. You, know, you are looking at not just in isolation and looking at all your media, looking at all your marketing holistically mm -hmm. and understanding where in the funnel it plays to. So if all you're looking for is that immediate ROAS off that platform, you know, you're probably not going to see it to, to, to what you wanted to. So it's making sure you take a step back. In the same way when we talk about it doing any sort of marketing, looking at things holistically, the whole myth about, you know, this channel directly drives that, it, it's, it's next to impossible, mm. you know, to yeah. actually be able to do that. Even with like media mix modeling, you're never going to get 100% view of what's actually driving mm. that conversion and who really cares like it's kind of like am i better off doing this thing or not yeah and your mer more or less will tell you that well exactly that's why mer was, was invented mm. to be able to provide that that proxy measure to kind mm. of be able to allow you to look at is your marketing efficient yes mm. or not yeah exactly Simple as that. what else is happening yeah. in the, the week of e-commerce well second headline which i want to talk to you about is one which i think is very close to your heart mm. ShipStation released a study recently mm. showing that one in ten consumers under the age of 50 had processed a return in the last uh, in the last six months. Um, that doesn't sound too surprising, but where they went into was actually the environmental impact. Now I'm going to have to look at my phone on this because uh, there's a lot of numbers here. Does that make a twenty percent return rate globally? Is that what they're saying? Uh, no, well they're saying one in one in ten consumers. Well, one in ten. So one 10%, in ten. Well, that's ten, ten percent of consumers had had done one return. Yeah, also, in, less, in technically a less than probably a less than ten percent return. Less than yeah, less than ten percent return rate. Assuming you buy more than one, so sure, yeah. that seems a little on the low side to yeah. me. It seems a little on the low side, knowing that most retailers have about a ten percent. You know, yeah, five percent is good. Ten percent is probably normal, unless you're like a fast fashion brand, in which case you probably got like a twenty percent return rate. Mm. Or shoes. Let's mm. not even talk about shoes. <laughs> yeah. But the ShipStation report, though, showed that uh, the, environment, the environmental impact of returns uh, is that there are 15 million metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions just purely from returns, and also that 25% of product returns end up in landfill. So pretty alarming numbers when you think about it, that mm. for, for those, when you buy four, four different size dresses, at least and just to try one and you know maybe keep one or return or keep none. Ooh. At least one of those Ooh. is going to end up in landfill somewhere. It's uh, it's it's pretty alarming the fact that you know no one wins in that situation, um, and the environment hundred percent loses. Ooh. It's a hard one, isn't it? Um, because fashion is maybe the largest part of e-commerce. Like it's got it's got to be up there, right? As as one of the largest categories, and particularly women's fashion. Um, it changes super fast, you know? So it, it's a real challenge for these particularly fashion brands um, because by making your your product last, that's one thing. How do you make it last the, the, the test of time in terms of the trends? And by making it last, are you actually dropping your revenue? Uh, you know, I think I went to one conference where somebody actually proposed that the way for 
uh, to tackle this issue of fast fashion is to um, come on retailers, we've got to sell less. Mm. Well, <laughs> good luck putting that on the board table. So <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to this. I think it's it, what we are um, hearing is returns as a massive contributor to landfill and um, nobody likes returns, right? Because um, generally you've got a refund or you've got a mm. bin the garment and a lot of brands are guilty also of looking at the return and kind of putting it at the back of the warehouse, even though sometimes it's sellable and then it ends up on that pallet that goes off yeah. to God knows where. So returns are just like the ugly sister of, you know, of orders. Mm. And I, I think um, they're, they're a bit of a blemish on brands. Like as, as brands, we need to look at our, I had a, a call this morning with someone who, you know, I asked what's your return rate and they just didn't know. We need to, to look at that uh, and I think try and actually lower our return rates, one, for commercial reasons and two, for the reasons that you mm. just said. But it's a, I guess there's an ethical question there as well that retailers have to, to face, which is to say like um, going, not thinking about returns right now, but just thinking about landfill, like truly how, how do retailers genuinely tackle this? Because I got to say like for fast fashion businesses, and I've worked with heaps of them, as have you, do they really want to tackle it? Because that's their business. Yes, yeah, selling get you to buy four of them, churn and burn, yeah, and, and hopefully you don't forget to return. Yeah, so exactly. So that's a massive one, and I, do, I, but you know, we're interested in those businesses that are peer to peer marketplaces. Designer X yeah. was a great one, and I think those guys are the way of the future. Mm. But um, fast fashion, I don't know how they're going to tackle. Yeah, tackle this. Well, I want to give a shout out to one of our clients, Rough Sleeper, as well, who are taking dead stock. Garments, um, dead stock apparel, um, so other which is destined for landfill, and taking that and repurposing that into streetwear. Very cool. So they've been doing that. They've got their trash tea, which is hundred percent made out of um, dead stock, you know, dead stock materials, uh, and I'm now making a really, really good, solid, basic T-shirt out of it. Yeah, and doing incredibly well. So, you know, they, they just launched. So I'm really proud of the work which they're doing there. I'm seeing more of that as well. But then also you've got um, the likes of Julie Mathers. Mm. You know, Julie talking about actually buying smarter, mm. you know, as well, actually investing the time to make sure that what you're buying, you know, is quality, mm. you know, is ethical, you know, all that stuff to make sure that to give people the confidence of what they're buying is a good garment. You know, yeah. it is going to last to minimize returns because you're just going to have less problems with it. Yeah. You know, in the first place. And I think that's brave um, because my, my feeling on that is right now, those first movers commercially might actually be copying a bit of a hiding. Mm. But I, I think in 10 years, it'll be paying it back in spades. You know, so I think all of us kind of think, oh, we're, we're so ethically minded when we shop, but we're not really. Mm. Like we, we maybe think about it occasionally. But I, I don't think commercially it's quite there yet. And I only need to look at the sales of the fast fashion clients versus the more ethical ones to know there's a massive imbalance there because style still trumps the ethical side right now. So I think those first movers might be copying it a little bit in terms of sacrificing revenue now. In fact, they definitely are sacrificing short-term revenue for the greater good. But I do think there'll be that, inflection point or whatever in 10 years mm. where sentiment doesn't just it's not sentiment it's the norm and we know things can change in in a decade so i think right now it's still very early days for consumers to actually put their money where their mouth is and say no i only shop at ethical brand mm. i know some do 
but it's a minority. I see it in the revenue numbers. But those early movers, I reckon, are going to get paid back big time in a decade. Well, yeah. hopefully not a decade, but yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think you know, there's a lot of it for the for the value for consumers. You know, making sure that when they see that the value proposition's there, mm. that they should stump up a little bit more, or the cost of that manufacturer comes down. And you see the same happen with electric vehicles. You know, we're now electric well, vehicles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Tesla, very first you know, early mover. Now they dominate the market. They sell more electric cars than anyone else. But the, the thing about that is is they've got the extra hook that it's cheaper as well to maintain. Mm. You know what I mean? So I I know a lot of Uber drivers, a, a driver, because I speak to them, I love the electric cars. You bought one, I haven't got there yet. But the Uber driver's like, yeah, I hardly ever fill up. So they've got they've got the double whammy. They've got the saving on the hip yep. pocket. So the retailers, as retailers, if we can somehow find, we've got a product that we're working <laughs> on that does this, but if you can somehow save the planet and save the dollars, that's the golden ticket. Mm. Because I, I'm just not sure that people will pay a premium just to save the planet. Some will, but it's not mainstream. It's not yet. mainstream, absolutely. But electric vehicles, there's a double whammy. Yep. So as a retailer, if you can think about saving the planet, but there's a commercial aspect, I think it's a it's write your own check. I think it's a, a home run. Well, let's keep watching that space and see what happens over the next few years with that. Mm. Now, the big story we want to cover off this week is another study which we saw showing that CBD vacancy rates had bottomed out. That they were expecting that this is currently the lowest we're expecting occupancy rates in CBD to be. Um, this is across Australia. So my my question is, does this now open up the opportunity with rates so low for some brands to really start getting into the omni-channel space, to really start thinking about building a footprint, you know, while those deals are there with landlords who are trying to attract tenants, you know, into the into the CBD, and we're seeing more of that now with more and more stores opening up their bricks and mortar, like July, which only launched a couple of years ago, you know, with their with their luggage. By the way, I bought some July luggage recently. How was I love it? it? It's fantastic. It's it's upstairs in your in, in your living room right now. And, and this is not a, a an, an endorsement, Mal. Generally, I, I generally would be happy to receive it. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to give some product, more than happy to take we'll it. Review it. Yeah, yeah but uh, it's it's a fantastic product. It's generally the best piece of luggage I've I've wow, had in my life. That's huge. And I have a lot of luggage. Yeah. Um, you know how much I travel. Yes. So it's been great. Um. But they've recently opened up with bricks and mortar, but they started originally D2C. Now they've opened up bricks and mortar. And we're seeing that happen more and more. You know, obviously Stacks recently opening up bricks and mortar in the last couple of years. Yes, they did. Wow. The yeah. Nation, um, uh, they're on George Street, just on George Street, I believe. Um, P Nation. Yeah, P Nation. They've got one in the in, in the Q, Q, QBH, um, uh, QVB. So we're starting to see that trend. Like, and. Do you think that's going to be, is this now an opportunity for, for these retailers? You know, we've talked about the importance of having that physical presence being on brand. Is this an opportunity now for retailers to start thinking about getting a getting a physical presence, you know, getting into omnichannel more? Oh, I'm a scorned retailer. <laughs> you know, um, before, I, before I saw the light of e-commerce, I had you know, started as a wholesaler and I've had about five or six stores. And let me tell you, the rents would have to be right size substantially because mm. there is such a disproportionate amount between rents charged and foot traffic. And we should dive into that in a spreadsheet somewhere because it's outrageous. Like the way we judge e-commerce on a cost per click, I'd love a cost per knock. <laughs> I'd love a cost per, you know, walk. It would be ridiculous. It would be off the charts, you know. And uh, the, the thing is, retailers don't look at that. Mm. They just walk in, and someone might sit out the front with a pen and paper and be like, "Oh, there's good foot traffic," but they're not really diving into the numbers. So I think that um, 
rents for me, this is my personal experience, would have to come down substantially to, for me as a, as a, as a retailer, to, an online re retailer to open a store. Um, I would almost consider it a marketing thing, mm. you know, a, a beautiful fit out, a billboard. But knowing what I know about retail, the per store sales will not come close to um, an average online retail. You, you, the sales that you've got to do, let's, let's say um, not many stores are making 100 grand a month, mm. even the big ones. That, that, I know that for a fact. I can get you going on an online store in <laughs> nine months using my new course to get to 100 grand a month. But And the stress and the rocking up, you know, and the staff. Look, I, I think CBD rentals have been at a square metre rate off the charts because suckers will pay it like me. Hmm. And, and then that's stopped. And obviously spending's down and people want, the, you know, inflation to come down. So this is what's happening. Things slowly are becoming cheaper. Personally, I think it's got to come down twenty five percent minimum rents to 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 be worth it. And I think it's bottom out now. I think that's what they're suggesting that you know that the rents the rental marketplace you know, it's a buyer's market. Yeah, or it's a renter's market. I'd have to have a look, but um, I think the right brands. Yeah, like July, mm. that makes sense to me mm. because also you got tourists there in the city. Like if you're you know, P Nation as well, I've seen those. Like they're like still, beautiful. they're beautiful. Yeah. They're marketing things. I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at that for mm. customer acquisition cost to come down as well. A true integrated omni-channel experience, hundred percent. I think that's where the opportunity is. Yeah. Like not to have a store in isolation, but to look at it as part of your overall. Your sales marketing channel mix. Yeah. Right. So LSKD, another one, you know, they're, they're opening stores faster than they're releasing product. That, you know, every week, it seems like they're opening a new store. They've opened a store in San Diego now. Mm. Yeah. And those things, they're, they're just temples to the brand. You go there, you experience it, you get to touch and fuel the brand. Whether they make their money back, mm. I'm not sure. But uh, do they exist as a place where people can go and touch and feel and experience the brand and get what they're all about? Mm. And like you look, I think Apple obviously pioneered this with their Apple stores. You know, these are gigantic temples to their brand. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're like the Hillsong of, of, of tech, of consumer tech. Yeah. You know, these giant temples like in the middle of like George Street one is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, this two, three-story glass building. You know, I don't know how much that would make there. I don't know what the rent would be there but it'd be substantial, but it wouldn't just be based on that because the fact is someone walks past that building every single day. Mm. Yeah, and if you love Apple, it reinforces your love. If mm. you don't know about Apple, you're Apple curious, you may start to think more about, oh, maybe I'll walk in or, you know, it just starts to build that. You see the lines the out the front because they do the repairs. Mm. See people sitting outside getting the free Wi-Fi as well. But yeah, look, I think if it's an integrated thing, yeah, I, I would just be cautious of anybody looking to do it purely on commercial value but I, I i mean yeah horses for courses the culture king store in vegas like for me that's just so impressive i don't know if it makes money or not but it's so impressive and p nation as well but i yeah i guess i uh, hope i'm not being too negative here but I've I've paid a few landlords <laughs> and run from a few leases in my time so but yeah i think um Integrated is the, is the key. Mm. And that's what omnichannel should be. It's just if they work together and yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I certainly don't think 
bricks and mortar on its own mm-hmm. and survive. Yeah, I think they need each other more and more. But what I'm seeing now with particularly the the, the bigger brands or the the smarter brands, the more mm. innovative brands, I should say, is that they're learning to leverage both. You know, even when I was at Rideaway, we opened the gyms and the gyms were there to be a template of the brand. They mm. were there for, so for someone to be able to well, go and try and experience yeah. the brand because that was what our whole ethos was about. Yeah. So you got to actually live and breathe Rideaway. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I mean, if you can do something like that, I think like – Retailers saying, yeah, we'll serve coffee there. It's got to be more than that. See, that's a great example of an experience. Yeah, we sell clothes as well, but it kind of comes back to the top of funnel, the branding. It's a brand building thing. Yeah, we also sell, like when I walk past Apple, the first thing I notice is, wow, it's packed. That must be cool. And I'm sure they serve people slowly to (laughs) to get the lines, you know. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, look, um, and I think having stores, maybe it elevates the brand as well. Obviously, if you see one in the city, you think, oh, these guys must be all right. Mm. And um, yeah, July one, that sounds good. Yeah, go head down to Melbourne and uh, check that out next time I'm there. Mm. So, Paul, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, Any any last tips or thoughts for uh, for, for listeners? No, I just... um, I think the end is in, the light at the end of the tunnel is there for anyone that maybe is struggling a bit. We are seeing, as you said, mm-hmm. things are bottoming out and coming back um, over the last few months. Probably a lot of retailers a little bit worried. Um, good opportunity for brands to lean up a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, if you can survive and do okay now, I think survival turns to prosperity soon enough. So yeah. I think um, light at the end of the tunnel for anybody struggling. What about you? Black Friday is coming up awfully quickly. So what I'll yeah. say is that if you haven't started your planning for that now, I would be starting that now. Um, but in particular, really thinking about what your objectives are for that period. Are you just looking at to drive revenue or are you looking at to actually free up some cash flow? I feel a webinar coming. I do feel a webinar There's coming a, up for this. We should do one. Yeah, okay. Stay tuned for our uh, Get Ready for Black Friday uh, webinar. There you go. On that. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me into your lovely Pleasure. Home. Good to see you, man.